Welcome to NextCast, a podcast about teaching and learning at Humber College. I'm Nathan Whitlock, an editor at Humber Press. On NextCast, we talk to some of the faculty and staff who are leading innovation at Humber, both inside and outside the classroom. In this episode, we talk to Professors Sarah Feldblum and Leanne Millick about research they've done into the use of multimodal texts as teaching tools. Welcome to NextCast, Sarah and Leanne. Thank you. Thank you. So you've been working together on a research project through the Teaching Innovation Fund, and it's focused on using multimodal texts as a, as a teaching tool. Could you explain exactly what those are? The easiest way to explain it is to say that every text uses multiple ways of communicating information. So ways is a synonym for modes. So even a piece of paper with writing on it has two modes of communicating. There's the space, the white space on the page, and then the text itself. Something like a movie has even more. There's sound, um, there's communication through images. If there's captions, there's communication through words. So really anything can be a multimodal text. Even talking at the front of the room, teaching at the front of the room, moving your arms and speaking, you're using the space in the room, you're using gestures, you're using facial expressions, your voice. So we're all teaching with multimodal text all the time. But the way that we've used the definition of multimodal text in our research is to focus on texts that are digital in nature. So um, social media texts, websites, and we are also working with podcasts and film. So in other words, just bringing in more resources, bringing in a kind of richer variety of resources Mm -hmm. rather than just handouts and, you know, uh, articles or something. There's a second component to the research. So um, in the so basically right now we have um, two different test groups. We have one test group of students who are learning the curriculum through um, traditional typographic text. So those are generally um, what you would think of as a, a text-based document, so like an article that you might read or something like that um, as sources. And they're also producing traditional typographic texts um, as their assignments and activities. And then we have another test group that's learning immersively through multimodal text. And so that means um, their learning tools are multimodal and they're also producing multimodal texts for all of their activities and assignments. Um, so Leanne right now is uh, working with the test group that are learning through traditional typographic uh, approaches and, uh, and using those resources. Um, and in her class, um, when they did their summary assignment, they wrote a summary, for instance, of an article. And in the class, uh, or in the two classes, the test group that I'm working with, uh, the students produced a podcast as their summary. So that gives you a sense of how that other layer functions as well. The the term typographic texts reminds me of riding a streetcar about 10 years ago in Toronto and hearing some young people refer to film cameras, which sort of blew my mind a little bit. Like, oh, yes, we've crossed that border where now film cameras are the exception. You know, typographic texts are now the... Right. The exception. Right. So are you in this this research is ongoing? It's happening now. So we uh conceived of it I two one year ago. Two years? We started talking about it about a year and a half ago. A year now. and a half, right. Yeah. So in the fall of twenty seventeen. Right, a year and a half. Yeah. And then we sort of did like an under the radar um test 
to see what would happen if we just started teaching, adding in these richer multimodal texts to see if students became more engaged in the courses that we were teaching and if they achieved the learning outcomes of the course at a higher level. Mm -hmm. And through that, with no real funding or anything, just just observation and asking students to self-report, we saw that there was an increase in success and engagement. So then this year, we applied for a teaching innovation fund and are now formally doing the research this semester. So it's happening right now. And I should just back up a second. What what kind of courses are you focusing on in terms of uh, implementing these 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 changes? Mm. Well, we're we're both teaching in uh, the English department, mm -hmm. so um, we both teach various writing courses. Um, the course that we're doing this um, formal research in is a Writ One Hundred class, and Writ One Hundred um, is a basically like a fundamental writing and communications class that looks at um, building skills for critical analysis, uh, building skills for summarizing, for paraphrasing, for reading comprehension, those sorts of things. And this is this is not, you know, telling tales out of school or something, but Writ 100 is traditionally where you might find students who might be somewhat reluctant, maybe at first, just to uh, always engage with, with those skills, to engage with reading and, and writing, because they're not English students. They're not there to get an English degree. They're from other disciplines, and they may be, you know, a bit reluctant to engage. Exactly. Um, so is that was that part of the spur to kind of start bringing in these other resources to kind of build that engagement? It's, I mean, it's so funny that you say that because I think, I mean, Leanne and I are quite, I think we're quite attracted to reluctant learners. Like there's, for both of us, um, it's really, really important to notice the students in the class um, who um, maybe don't have a lot of confidence around writing and communication um, or haven't had great experiences in the past or for whatever reason don't have a very rich foundation. Um, and as a result, th those are usually the students that are reluctant. Uh, they're reluctant because they have the negative feelings that aren't necessarily really, I mean, I don't think it's ever really their fault. Um, so I think because we're both really, really passionate about serving those students, I like, I think you're right. That's, that's a great observation. I've been working um, before I was a professor, um, I was working on uh, youth media projects like literacy and social justice and confidence building projects with youth in uh, resilient communities. And I just always found that it was really fun for the student for well, they weren't students for participants. Um, it was fun and challenging and motivating for them to have an opportunity to think deeply, to be challenged, um, to play, to be creative, and that that you know, created opportunities for them to learn other things, to, to learn language. And yeah, I guess I was bringing that in, but not necessarily with a totally... You weren't know. conscious necessarily? Yeah, I don't know if I was totally conscious. Like, I think that before we started talking about it, um, we were both doing things in our classrooms um, that were... Um, accessing this approach and these kinds of texts and, and doing that because we thought it was good for the students generally and also were excited to support students who were reluctant. But yeah, that's a really important connection you just made. But it, it, so it was a more organic process. It wasn't like you attended an academic conference and they, someone spoke for an hour about multimodal texts and you're like, oh yes, I will try to implement this in my course. It was really just 
this is what we should be doing anyway, you know, and then and you became more aware of it. Is that, tr- is that, is that the case? Yeah, for sure. I have a background in film, so that's what I did for my undergrad. And when I came to teaching, immediately I noticed in my first Brit 100 class that there was uh, some resistance and some reluctance to the material. And I just, my instinct was just how can I engage these students? So I started doing critical analysis with film and also I love music so I was bringing in songs like we analyzed Solange (laughs) and don't touch my hair there's a lot going on there and um, I saw right away it just lit them up and it helped them access the material so it was really just natural instinct and Sarah was the person who actually told me there was a term multimodal I didn't even know (laughs) Um, so yeah it was very organic. And yet you were the one who defined it for us. Today. How so ironic. You've, you've come a long way. <laughs> I've come a long way, yes. <laughs> we did a pod, we did an episode of this podcast last year, and it was about um, accessibility, about uh, accessible teaching, accessible learning. And as the conversation went on, and we were talking about different approaches and different techniques and different tools to use, um, I actually asked the, 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 the people I was speaking with, isn't a lot of what we're talking about just good teaching? I mean, isn't this a lot of this what we should be doing anyway? And I sort of feel the same way about this is, is, you know, I totally understand the idea of formalizing it and studying it. But at some root level, isn't this really what we should be doing anyway? A hundred percent. And when we started doing research and looking at the literature to create our TIF proposal, we saw that this is just basic knowledge. It's been proven time and time again that we need to be teaching multimodal literacy, that it's been proven already that it increases engagement and helps students achieve learning outcomes. So we, by doing our research, we're trying to add to that and say it does and it in the college context, that it works here and we need to do it here. And yes, you're right. It's already been proven that this is important and necessary, and we kind of need to catch up a little bit. Well, that's excellent. Thanks for uh, thanks for spending some time telling us about all this. Thank you for Thank having you us. Thank you so much. Cast is produced by Kristen Valois for Humber Press with the assistance of the Creative Productions team at the Center for Teaching and Learning. Special thanks to Santino Pinozzo. To listen to previous episodes of Nextcast and to read issues of Next Magazine, go to humberpress.com. You can also find free downloadable transcripts of every Nextcast episode at humberpress.com. To suggest stories for future episodes of Nextcast or to just let us know what you think, email humberpress, all one word, at humber.ca. That's humberpress at humber.ca. Thanks, and see you next time. That's still not a pun. Hey.